It's good to see you here this morning. And uh, for those that are here, maybe for the first time or second time, whatever, uh, we're glad that you're here with us. And uh, we're about trying to worship God and study His Word. And His Word is uh, the Holy Bible, God's Word. Um, If you don't have a copy with you, there should be one in front of you there in the pew. You can take it and turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look just at one verse here this morning and then uh, go into our communion time. Um, before we do, I'd just like to um, remind you, important, important, and that is um, just about tonight. It wasn't my idea to, to step it up for, you know, tri-tip and, and whatever they're doing. I'm going, wow, that's great. What a meal. But what's more important is trying to invite a friend. Invite a friend. I know it, it, it's not like we're uh, saying you, you have to, but I just want to encourage you in that way. And I also want to encourage you about being a part of things uh, tomorrow morning and uh, coming here and being a part of uh, our church's uh, float in the parade. Um, it's it's going to be a, a fun time. Uh, you can sit the whole time if you want on the on the on the float, or if you want to get out and hand out some uh, packets of uh, material that we put together, you can help us with that. That's basically it. We'll have plenty of water and and, and refreshment on the on the on the trailer on the float. And if you don't come to ours, you know, be a, I, I think we're we're right next to the child evangelism float that Patty's with. So come and help with one or the other, okay? And make it a make it a statement for our community. All right, we'd love to have you there. Okay, we're going to look at this one verse uh, here this morning in Romans chapter 12, and I've entitled this message "The Pulse of the Body." The pulse of the body. We've been talking about uh, the body of Christ and how we're supposed to function. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the instruction here in Romans 12 is critical for us if we're going to function like His body, the church. I did a wedding yesterday. And that's... Um, oh, by the way, if this Saturday, coming up Saturday, we're going to have a wedding, uh, wedding reception for our son Sam and his new wife of one month, uh, Kim, Kimberly Swenson. Sam and Kimberly Swenson. They'll be with us next Saturday, uh, 2 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. And as parents and hosts and hostess, we'd like to invite you all to come and join us if you can. Um, but I did a wedding in Reno yesterday, and it's always just a joy to see the two lovebirds uh, come together as one. And I, I get the best seat in the house. Because they're right there with me. And to see them uh, shed tears of joy. And to smile and look in each other's eyes. You know? Can you hit the background music a little bit? <laughs> and um, it does. It gets, it's, it's a very kind of emotional time. But there's something about love that uh, most all of us realize. And that is the, the background music stops. And, uh, yeah, the, and, and on you go with life. 
And they are called to love one another. That's their, that's their mission now, if you will. That's what they're going to do. And if you look at the, the teaching, the instruction that God gives us for being a church, He starts right there with love. He's, he's already talked about, you know, your, your dedicated uh, service is living in holy sacrifices unto God. Verse 1 and 2 in chapter 12 here, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Then he talks about uh, the gifts that are given to the body so that the body might function properly. And now he moves, it's verse 9. Verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Okay? And so the flow of Romans 12 goes right into this now. About this this uh, characteristic, this, this uh, nature that Christians are supposed to have, and that is love. He doesn't, you know, um, give it a, a little uh, background at all. He just says, let love be without hypocrisy. Because that's what ought to drive, listen, that's what ought to drive the gifts that he's just talked about. All right? So we want to be a, a, a body of believers that understands the gifts and puts the gifts into action so that Christ is what? Glorified in the church. So, point number one here is, I believe this is really getting at the essence of love. Point number one, the essence of love. And he's saying it's agape. Agape love is what drives these gifts. That's the context that we're working within. Agape love is what drives the gifts. Agape love is what drives a Christian's life. Okay? If you come up to, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, Oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Okay? One of the things that we ought to be able to see is how they react, how they respond to situations or to people. And that should be with love. Agape love. And as I challenged the couple there yesterday in the, in the marriage, in the wedding ceremony, it's not that love is a feeling that you, you run with. Agape love is, a, is, is just, here's the reflection of it from God Himself. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. And it, we could say it's also, it's action. Okay? It's taking what you know and getting it put into action. It's, it's serving with humility. It's not driven by feelings. And you know what? I'd be the first to admit, a lot of what we do or don't do is driven by feelings driven by your feelings, driven by my feelings about things, the way we are, our opinions and such, how we're feeling. And so, thus, true body-centered action is not driven by agape love, it's driven more by, you know, maybe a phileo love, 
maybe a love that's more, well, based on my, on my feelings. And we've got to be called back, Christian brother, Christian sister, we have to be called back to that truth. That our love for one another needs to be based on agape love, commitment love, choosing it that way. Here it is. This is what I need to do. I, I understand this. And, the, and we know. We understand that that's difficult. But we can't do it in the power of our own flesh. We cannot do it and just say, I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But yet we, we must, by the power of the Spirit of God in, in your life, in my life. That's how we can agape love. And then he says, let love be what? Without hypocrisy. And that's the literal meaning of the Greek word, without hypocrisy. Um, being a hypocrite, uh, we could talk about that and say, well, it's, it's about being a stage actor. That's what it was referring to when in old, olden days they would have actors and they would hold the big masks in front of them. And then when it was a different character, they'd put that mask down, they'd put up another mask and they would talk their part. They were stage acting. Okay? Uh, here in the community, we've got music, the musical starting up again. Uh, some of you are involved in the musical. Uh, and you'll enjoy the musical this year. Cinderella. But they're stage actors. They get up there and they play the part. And God's word says to us, Christian, don't love playing a a stage actor don't do it that way don't be a a hypocrite in that regard don't don't have a mask on in his body don't play act like a disciple be a disciple okay and it gets back to loving genuinely loving sincerely without hypocrisy okay so this word is used in different places in the new testament and uh if if you're taking notes jot down second corinthians chapter 6 verse 6 where it talks about the uh, the adjective used there is genuinely love genuinely and also in first peter chapter 1 verse 22 it's the, the word used there is earnestly love. And so we get a, a spectrum of little uh, different descriptions there, but it all points to this issue of being genuine in it. Now, I look at our, what I understand and what I see here at Parkside is that there is genuine love. That doesn't mean to say that we get to sit back and and pat ourselves on the back, you know, way to go. But we need to carry on in that way. We need to keep pressing on with that. Because you know, Christian, you know your, your heart nature. I know my heart nature. And the tendency is that we, we start reaching for a mask every so often and put it up in front of us. Okay? 
we don't want to be uh, viewed as being like, oh, you know, we've got something going bad or going wrong or we don't have things together. So we put up the mask that says, oh, I got everything together. <laughs> so how do we do with other people in loving them if we recognize they might not have everything together? How do we do with that? So, if we claim, if, if you say, I'm a Christian, then you're saying, I'm a part of what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is saying. Do you understand that? Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. If you say you're a Christian, then this ought to be true of you, that you or I am then a living, holy sacrifice... And that I'm on that journey, that pathway of saying, and I'm not going to be conformed to the world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. And we, we, can, we could make a whole week of studies on the, the subject of love, agape love. It's, it's splattered all over the pages of the Bible. And we are told here that we must love then without hypocrisy. It's not not an option here. The goal of the command in Scripture is to love, as 1 Timothy chapter 1 says. Love which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. And Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. (laughs) I quoted from Ray Stedman. I'm going to quote from him again. He says, Sham love, or hypocritical love, is of the flesh. It comes from that pretender that is deep down inside all of us that wants to be thought well of, even though we really are not worthy of it. And so we easily succumb to this desire, but true love as we have been seeing, comes from the Holy Spirit. True love is manifested by learning from the Word of God how you should behave in a certain situation, then depending on the Spirit of God to give you the strength to do it, moving out and doing that very thing. There's love. Love for who? Love for God. So, this verse here in Romans 12 sets forth love as it's supposed to be manifested in the family of God. Let love be without hypocrisy. Okay. And some of you have heard this, I know, but I'll, I'll mention it for those that may not have heard about it before. The, I think it's the King James that says, love must be sincere. And we get that word from the Latin term, sinceris. And that was, um, uh, the connection here is that, oh, Roman merchants, uh, maybe uh, conniving Roman merchants, uh, guys that weren't really on the level, they would put out their, their jars and their pottery, and if they had had a, if there was a crack in, in one of those, they would put wax on it, and, and it would, you know, then they would work the, 
the color to be the same as the, the jar or the pot. Okay? And then they try and sell it. And if the buyer wasn't bewaring, <laughs> buyer beware, you know, he, he or she might buy a vase or a jar that they thought was the real deal. And yet they get home and then they look closer and, oh, there's a little crack there. Well, they were deceived, weren't they? And it was this idea, this term, love must be sincere, is really meaning without wax. (laughs) That it's without wax. That your love isn't covered up in some sort of way. Okay? So, that's the first part of it. And it really shows the essence of love. That it's, it's about choice, commitment, sacrifice, as with God and what He demonstrated. Um, also, another verse to mark down is 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If a person says he loves God but hates his brother, he's a... A what? A liar. Interesting little phrase. That's not beating around the bush at all. The guy says he loves God but hates his brother. He's a liar. And so, Christian, we've got to grow in the love of God. We've, we, we need to grow in that more and more and more. And that's not just going to mysteriously descend upon you because you're a nice person. It's something that you learn of and grow in and choose to do. That's what Jesus would have. Okay. All right. So, let's move on to point number two. Point number two is the evidence of love that's mentioned in the, in the very next phrase. Here's how love is really proven. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. It's pretty simple. Okay? Now, and I recognize, you know what, folks? I recognize this is like, this is somewhat familiar language about, oh, we need to love more. We need to love better. And if we're not careful, our pride gets in the way. Our arrogance gets in the way. Our sanctified arrogance gets in the way. And we need to be careful not to let that happen. I'm concerned that we are not a group of people that's actually more self-righteous than we are Christ-likeness. Because the concern, behind that concern is that we, we come to church. You typically, you, you come to church on a regular basis. And that's good. But our pride can work in such a way that makes me feel better than that guy down there. Or that gal down there. And it can show itself very easily. Again, when situations squeeze in on us, how do we really act? How do we really conduct ourselves when the pressure's on? And we look to Jesus. It gets back to that. We just keep looking to Jesus. Because when the pressures of everything came down on Jesus... When he was squeezed, he's hanging on the cross saying what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
God is love, right? And that's the picture of love. Is Christ giving his life for your salvation. Okay? So, the evidence of love is, it's like, here's the mark of love. Here's the the proof of genuineness. It gets down to this. It starts with a negative. What do you abhor? And what's that? We hardly use that word. How about this one? What do you loathe? You loathe certain things? I know females that loathe spiders. Well, put a name to the spider. Evil. <laughs> and I know that's... that's overly simplistic but every day my friend every day there's going to be something that you will face and in your heart in your thinking determining is this going to be good or is this evil or you know a lot of times in our day and age in our culture we kind of throw it like oh there's a big huge gray area in the middle And it's really not that bad until it gets really uh, illegal. And then it's evil. (laughs) Then it's evil. No. There are things that God tells us in His Word that you and I need to keep learning and growing in to be discerning of. Is it good? Is it evil? And we want to abhor. The Bible says first, abhor what is evil. And it's in the present tense. What does that mean, students? Keep on abhorring it. Keep on hating it. Keep on hating evil. And it's the idea of, here's how love is expressed. Love is expressed by hating evil. It sounds backward to us in our culture. But that's... You know, even taking Psalm chapter 1 and, and looking at that. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, it sounds like he's going to start with all these praises, all this wonderful flowery stuff. But no, he's starting with hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And I, I don't, you know, quite honestly, we've got problems seeing, Christian. We've got problems seeing because we're, we don't have our, our eyes and our heart in the book enough so that we, we, when we look out into the culture, maybe we're seeing like, hey, it's no big thing. Ah, don't, don't worry about it. No big thing. And yet it, it's like draw, just drawing you in to the muck and the mire of, of, of sin more and more for yourself. So you need, to, you need to, I need to, we need to grow in these things. Abhorring evil. Um, the idea, a couple of verses um, along with this. I mentioned Proverbs chapter 8. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, real quickly, the fear of the Lord is to know Him, really is to really know Him as He is. Mark down Isaiah chapter 6. 
and read that. When Isaiah saw the Lord and he said, hey, great, this is cool. No, he didn't. He said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And when Peter saw Jesus do a miracle in Luke chapter 5, he, he cried out, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Why? Because they saw, here, here's, here's God in his glory in Isaiah 6. And Jesus also. So, another one to, to mark down is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It talks about abstain from fleshly lusts. <laughs> abstain from fleshly lusts. Abhor what is evil. Remove yourself. Separate yourself from it. When I was a little kid, um, we'd go up to, in, in the summertime, up to the lake, and up the, the lake in Minnesota, there's all sorts of bluegill and bass flying around in the, in the lake, but there's also all sorts of leeches. And so, you, you, know, you know, when we were especially little, mom would check for leeches on us, you know, look under the arm, you know, look everywhere. Is there a leech? Ooh, there's a leech. And we had that feeling like, ah, you got a leech, you know. Well, we know that a leech isn't going to, you know, kill you. But it's the attitude there that comes across. It's the attitude. And a lot of times, you know, we're not that way with evil. And a lot of it's because of all the, all the images we see, whether it's TV or the computer, all the images. We're seeing all sorts of images, and it's like we're numb to evil. God help us to be more discerning in this and more sensitive about what evil really is and, and how God's affected in it, how, how God treats evil. Okay? You get right down to the bottom of it. He sent his son, his beloved, only begotten son, to go die for evil and the sin of the world. God thinks of it very seriously, and we've got to think that way more and more. Also, important reference, Psalm 101, verse 3. Psalm 101, verse 3, where it says, No worthless thing before my... I, I will put no worthless thing before my eyes... Have no worthless thing before my eyes. Think about that, my friend. How often do we just go ahead and do it? Because we're familiar with it. And we just dangle it in front of, ours, of our eyes. And what we dangle in front of our eyes is going to hit our heart. The interesting thing here is that the word, the Hebrew word for worthless thing is Belial. It's a name for Satan. Worthless thing. So, the question is, what do you abhor? And then secondly, what do you cling to? What do you cling to? Firmly fastened together, or glued together, or united. Genesis chapter 2 says, that a man shall leave his father and mother and what? Cling to or cleave to the woman. 
Marriage, there it is. Cleaving to. You who are gainfully employed, you are joined to your employer. (laughs) You might not like that, but (laughs) it's the same concept. You're, You're joined to your employer in that way. Okay? Young people, you who have committed to a, um, a certain uh, extracurricular activity at school, you're joined to that. Okay? And you say, well, I can't miss this practice or I can't miss this appointment. You know, I've got, I'm joined to it. So, and what, is, what is he pointing out here? What are we to cling to? Everything that is good. Cling to what is good. Okay? So, Psalm chapter 63, verse 8 says, My soul clings to thee, O God. And that's what we've got to have as our, our highest ambition there. Cling to the Lord. Cling to His, his teaching, his, his instruction. You know, it's an interesting parallel here. Acts chapter 9 says that Paul tried to go and associate himself when he first got saved. Tried to go associate himself with the other disciples. Now, that's the, that's the concept there of joining with them, clinging to them. And they were like, whoa, <laughs> you're the guy that killed people and, and you know, you're, you're Saul of Tarsus. We don't know about you. All sorts of illustrations of this. Good ones, bad ones. You know, um, good clinging, King Hezekiah. Second chapter, Second Kings, Kings chapter eighteen. Okay, King Jehoram. Bad clinging, clinging to the old ways, to false worship. Second Kings chapter three. Friends, you know it's all over in the scriptures. These examples, okay. What you abhor and what you cling to, it's evidence of love. Okay? Evidence of love. Okay. Um, let me, you know, I, I think what I'm going to do is hold off on the back side of the outline till um, next time. Uh, next week, we have the children's program here on Sunday morning. And so we're not going to be in Romans, but we're going to have the children do their program and then a, a wrap-up uh, devotional uh, related to that. And then the following week, um, I'll be at men's retreat uh, on the 19th, that Sunday. So the 26th, we'll get back. Now, please remember... On the 19th in the evening, we're going to have a 6 o'clock meeting starting right in here. And um, you'll be able to hear Brendan Beheimer give his testimony, share about the, the ministry. And then we'll head over to the Fellowship Hall following that for some refreshments. But that'll be Sunday night, September 19. Okay? And um, I'll explain what's on the back uh, in two weeks or whatever it is, the next time on the 26th. Um, If I get into it now, I know I'm just going to keep going and talking here about it because I'm excited about it. This, what's on the back is, is another way of saying, what is it that we are producing as a church? 
what is it that do, we're doing with people? And as you come to Parkside, you know, being able to say, yeah, this is what I, I stand with. This is where I'm at. And I want to keep growing in this way. So we'll look at that the, at the end of the month. And so right now, we, we have our uh, remembrance of communion right before us. Of what, of what Jesus accomplished for you. And again, we've got to admit it. You know, it, sometimes it, um, it's like we get real familiar here with this. And it becomes real, you know, smooth and easy. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, um, say things that will make you feel like, well, gee, I'm, I'm totally worthless. I shouldn't be partake of communion. <clears throat> All I want to do is, is hold before you it is serious. What we're doing here, this is important to God. So it better be important to you and I. And he does tell us in 1 Corinthians 11 how we should partake so that we do not partake of the elements in a what? In an unworthy manner. And so right now, it's a matter for us, if we haven't already, to be saying to God, I, I confess this to you, God. I confess my self-centeredness. I confess my hypocrisy where I, I acted in a hypocritical way. I confess my coveting. Lord, I confess, you know, my anger. Please be talking to God. And, you know, it's, it's our desire that you, Christian, would partake of communion if your heart's right with God. In other words, don't harbor, don't plan on just hanging on to sin and then partaking of communion. You're grabbing the mask and holding the mask up and saying, oh, everything's fine, everything's right. When in reality, God knows you, you don't fool God. <clears throat> and so we ask God, Show, show me, God. <clears throat> help me in confessing to you. Help me in partaking with a grateful heart. And what is it that we focus on after that? The blessed work of Jesus Christ. The perfect work of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect substitute for your sins. Have you believed in Christ? Have you put your faith in Christ Jesus? Have you recognized your sin before God, a holy God? And have you cried out for His mercy? Have you said, God save me, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. And that's through Christ Jesus. And you can do it right where you're at. You can do it right in your heart right now doesn't have to wait you can confess your sin to god right now and call out to him for his mercy found in jesus christ for jesus christ is the the lamb that was slain as a sacrifice for your sins if you have other questions about it even now there's on the back of your bulletin there's a little box that says here's what matters the most and you can look that over. 
that's a very simple guide. It starts with God. It doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. It starts with a holy, righteous God who's been offended by man's rebellion, man's sin. And in God's almighty way, in God's amazing way, He provided the sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice in His own Son, Jesus Christ, who came, who was sinless, and because He's sinless, the sins of the world were laid on him. And he took your punishment. And so we remember his death with these elements. We remember that he gave his body, the element of the cracker, the representation there. He gave his body. His body was given over for that punishment and that sacrifice. And he shed his blood. There's the cup. Reminding us of the blood that was shed. Okay? And again, some of you are tracking right with me. Others of you, if if you're not sure, then I'd say, you know what? Don't partake yet. Let's talk about it some more afterwards. If you're not sure about it. 